where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The word of the Lord. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly today. Downstairs where it's warmer, all the adults are jealous. For the what? Oh, they get snacks. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. It's, And what I said to Nicole is, where your treasure is, your heart is as well. Um, They perish so fast. Um, Today, uh, we heard that reading from Francis about the treasures and the eyes and having two lords. And they're each set up in these interesting ways of that you have two treasures, this treasure on earth, this treasure in heaven. You have this eye of light and this eye of darkness. You have this one Lord and this other Lord, and you can't serve both. It's this example of sort of two options. And, and one of the things that we um, have a tendency to exist and uh, resist in a world of gray with Christianity is this black and whiteness. Whereas Jesus always is sort of like, you're either this or that. And we're like, yeah, but what about if you're partially this? And like, we have this way of sort of like, there's a lot of gray in the world, as you'll hear a lot. Whereas Jesus, being the Son of God, um, seems to have less a tendency to see the world in grays, but more directly as you are on this path or this way, you see with light, you see with darkness, you serve this Lord or that Lord. He has this notion of sort of full allegiance that I think should throw us aback. I mean, when I was thinking about the the two eyes, the one that is full of light and the one that is full of darkness, is most of us are like, we have two eyes. One is light and one is darkness. Um, uh, I was hanging out with Matthew and uh, or Matt and Francis last night, and we that classic Siltzenitsyn quote that that the line between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart, and who would desire to rid the world from evil must be willing to rid half his heart. Like we um, live in that way, and yet Jesus sort of sets before us, and that we have these two choices today: is that you can store up your treasures here on earth, or you can build up your treasures here in heaven or in heaven. Um, And so far in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been blessed, we've been called. The law has been fulfilled as he instructs us in better morality and better um, politics is sort of that second half. And then he, he directs us in better devotional life, that when you're going to give alms or when you're going to pray or when you're going to fast, this is that higher righteousness. And then last week, we sort of centered on the Lord's Prayer and what that means in its 
eschatological frame, that last times frame of what does it mean that this, this we pray this in the hope of the world that is to come. Um, that that fulfillment of what that day is, how do we look at the prayer through that lens? And so this Sunday, it turns to this sort of where is your heart? Where is your eyes? And for service, I think, what do you do with your hands and your body and time? That, that's sort of the question that, that we sort of get to here is like, how are we building up our world in those things? One of the things I try to hold out here as important at Defiance Church is that the gospel is news before its advice. It's news of what God has done in the world. It's news in which the way the world is being set to right through Jesus Christ. It's news of the world that Christ saved to save sinners. It's news in the world that we've been set free, that new creation um, is coming. It's, it's news first. So often Christians want to start with advice. Um, and in a world where Christianity is more normative, that might make more sense. Here's how you can improve your morality some. Aim a little bit more this way. But I think where we stand today, we first need to reclaim the news of what Christianity is. Which is partially why this passage is hard, because it's a lot of advice per se. Don't stir up your treasures here, um, but store them up in heaven. But I think when we think about this passage, nobody can serve two masters as your eye uh, full of light and darkness, is what it proclaims to us is that it is possible that we can choose a different frame. We exist in such a flat world. Everything has its meaning in its moment. There is no transcendent thing beyond it. Um, this is, uh, we've talked about this in, in reference to our secular age before, is that everything, it just means what it means. There is no meaning behind it. And so this is the example I use, and don't read this as judgment upon you if you do yoga. But in the ancient frame, the notion of practicing yoga would be exposing your body to powers and mysterious things that you have no control over. In the modern world, we're like, it's stretching. That's only possible because of the age we live in. And what I want to say is not that we need to go back to the other as if we could. Um, it's also an age that leads to witch trials and other fears that perhaps we don't share today. Um, but it is an age in which you see things more fully. Everything today we see very flat. And so the idea to say, you know, your eye can be full of light instead of darkness actually means that your eye can be full of light instead of darkness. To say that you can store up treasures in heaven isn't supposed to be God is just telling us to be a little bit kinder in the moment, but there actually is a place in which God is storing up goodness for us as we build them here from earth. To say that we can't serve two masters is to say that there is another truer, more fuller one who we can honor with our lives and times and bodies. So the news of today's passage, before we get into the advice of it, is that this other thing is out there and it is far much truer and deeper than we can even imagine. That this world isn't as flat as it is. Praying isn't just kneeling, um, but it's contact with the divine. Um, giving alms is one of the ways in which you would build treasures up in heaven as we go through this passage. It isn't just tossing your money to the poor in a wasteful way, but in some sense bestowing the goodness of God which he's given to you onto someone else. And that has... Um, metaphysical or um, 
eternal meaning beyond just in the moment. With this passage, and, and I think part of what I'm trying to argue the Sermon on the Mount does as a whole, is it breaks open the world as it is in its flatness and wants us to see more beyond. To go from black and white vision to, to uh, I don't even know what this meant. It was always in Mickey Mouse cartoons. Technicolor, now presented in technicolor. Um, I should look that up later. Um, but now we can have this ability in which the Sermon on the Mount, what Christ is revealing to us, primarily about the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and perhaps in Matthew's Gospel, is that we can move into a more different way of viewing the world. The second thing I want to say about this passage before we, we dive in is, is that it's meant um, to order ourselves. So often, Jesus is teaching about wealth and other things. We direct towards other people and never towards ourselves. I was on uh, a call with a friend this week who's another pastor, and I told him, look, you know, I, I hate the rich, and how I define the rich is people who just make a little bit more than me. That's the line. Um, nobody uses a scale in which you are also complicit when you get into those things. And what Jesus is actually doing is trying to set us free from sort of that and making it this... Um, self-assessment. I talked about the ways in which I was trying to keep a moral journal of my self-assessment on who I call fool um, and murder, who uh, and where I looked lustfully and consume and become an adulterer, uh, where I pulled divorce apart in my life, who are my enemies. Um, we talked about keeping people in that neutral frame of they just annoy me is not that helpful. To call them your enemy means you have somebody to love. Um, and so we resist actually the call and our ability to be like, uh, keep everything in that. And so I think here too, it, it puts us in that frame of saying, how does this deal with me? That person is building too much treasure on earth isn't really something for us to begin to do with this passage, but it's something to apply to ourselves. The second thing is, um, as we think about uh, inequality or struggles in our world around this sort of thing that seems to be getting heightened today is for it to be an effective teaching, you'd have to believe in treasures in heaven. So to pick on um, billionaire Joe, whoever, which one you want to pick on, if he's not a Christian, the idea of saying, why build up treasures on earth when you can build up treasures in heaven? And he lives in that flat frame of existence. You might as well be speaking Greek to him. It, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's part of the revelation, the news that we receive in Jesus Christ that breaks this open up as a possibility for us. It's not just sound moral advice, but it is in fact uh, a new revelation in which you can fully appreciate when you begin to know God as God is. It's not just do a little bit less and make your way better. You have to have this frame of reference. And so as we begin today, the, the quote that we've been using that I think is a word of grace for us as we start today is, as Christians, we ought to live the ethic of the sermon. We are human, however, and so cannot live the sermon perfectly. We ought to therefore recognize both our obligation and our inability, and by that very recognition, give glory to God. That we recognize that this is a call for our lives to not store up our treasures here on earth, to not serve two masters, to have an eye full of light. And yet that is um, unable for us to be fulfilled perfectly. But in our attempt to do so, we glorify God who rescues and saves us in the midst of that.
So we'll start with treasures as the Pashas did. That's my attempt at drawing a treasure chest. Um, it's fantastic. Who said that? Thank you. Um, now you've got 10 more weeks of illustrations because now I feel proud of myself. Um, don't worry, we got three more today. Um, well, now we're off track. <laughs> Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy or rust um, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heavens where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is there, your heart is also. We begin with the heart. And the heart in the biblical imagination, we talked about this a lot in Deuteronomy, is more like what we would think of as the brain combined with the way we uh, think of the heart today. So we think of the heart, emotions, um, perhaps not the most trustworthy thing in the world, but you have one, your brain, the rational side of you that directs in this. Uh, what, um, what in the biblical world, the heart is the seat of your emotions. It's all of it, your rationality and your emotions. So there where your heart is, that's where this resides. Do not build up for yourself treasures in earth, but store up treasures in heaven. First, the interesting thing about this is that Christ does not say no treasures. He says, instead of building treasures up on earth, build up treasures in heaven. And aside, as a side, all ancient human societies, almost all their burial sites, if you were wealthy, you were buried with stuff. There are like a few exceptions, but the idea that like we have treasures is anthropologically one of the most true things about us. You are going to seek treasures. You are going to have treasures. Treasures are part of what human is. We cherish things. We hold them dear. And so if you think um, in, the, in the most sort of classical version of Buddhism, Christianity and Buddhism sort of agree with that life is tainted with suffering on the first step there. But the second... Um, Truth of uh, the four noble truths in Buddhism is that suffering is caused by desire, which we might agree with, but then that the, you eliminate desire to not suffer. Whereas Christianity says to us that, that their world is tainted with sin, there is suffering, and that suffering might be tainted by a desire for a better world, but instead we are to go into that without eliminating desire, but correcting it in its fulfilled ways. So Buddhism classically would have you more resist the world. I think about this in the images of the two religions. If you think of Buddha, um, well-fed, sitting symmetrically, eyes closed, inwardly reflected. You think of Jesus on the cross, eyes opened, not symmetrical, tortured and suffering in the face of the world. And what you say is perhaps uh, an artistic recommendation. I prefer Buddha. Um, but in truth, Christianity calls us into that antagonizing suffering in the world. So part of the truth of Buddhism here would be no treasures. Treasures are what's going to lead to your suffering. Whereas Christ says, there are treasures in store for you, but you can build them here on earth, which leaves them where they are. And they, they, they're destroyed by moss, or they rust, which was, is a different translation of vermin in my translation, or they are stolen, which in the ancient world, n no safety deposit boxes. Uh, they were, you buried stuff. People would dig in and steal your stuff or find it. Um, archaeologists often find buried around houses people's treasures 
they died with them still buried. Um, and this is the way in which we can store up stuff or we can build up our treasures in heaven. First is there's the don't store up, which I don't think Christ is saying us no on earth at all. But don't seek to store those up. The second is, is that there's a truth here that all of our treasures we store up on earth are um, bound to fail in some ways. What we heard in the passage from Ecclesiastes that Brian read is that they don't go with you. There's nothing you can carry in the Jewish anthropology into the next world. You're empty-handed upon death. You come in naked, that, that passage said, and you leave that way as well. So there is no bank account that goes with you beyond that. The second is, is this is a truth for us today, too. I, I, my mom, every Thanksgiving, would fall asleep to It's a Wonderful Life. Watch it, sure. Um, and even then, they thought the banks were secure. Good place to have your money and treasures. And yet it was all gone. Um, I, today, we, we build up. I remember when I lived in Durango, a friend of mine said, you know, you should really be buying a house here because houses never lose their value. And this was in 2006. <laughs> 2008, uh, all the houses lost their value. And I guarantee whatever loan I could have gotten as a 26-year-old to buy a house was going to be the kind with that interest rate that just made me lose it all anyways. Um, and so even today, we try to build security into these things. You know, if you put your money in the sa- in, into, hypothetically, if you were planning on retiring this year with your 401k and you hadn't shifted it uh, to bonds or whatever else they tell you to do, um, and the stock market tanked like it did, you would be out a massive amount of money. But Charles Schwab and J.P. Morgan told me for years that if I put my money there, it will be secure. We read this passage and we're like, you can get stuff to control moss, and, and rust comes off, and, and vermin, we don't know what that is um, in the way the Greek word is being used. And uh, thieves, well, we've got protective spot from thieves, um, but tell that to somebody who invested their retirement savings in Enron and Houston. Um, we live in a world where we think we've made ourselves immune from building up our treasures in these fraught ways. And in fact, it's perhaps an illusion. Things aren't as safe as we think they are. And thieves obviously still exist in their real ways too if you store it in your house or bury it in the ground or something happens to you. And so Christ calls us to build up our treasures above, not below. The, the book of Ecclesiastes has this way in which everything is meaningless, meaningless. And what the book sort of ends with is that when seen from the earth, the plane of existence we're on, the teacher, uh, is what it sort of says at the end, is correct. But it's why we look at things from above. And then perhaps everything isn't meaningless anywhere anymore. Uh, the Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes teaches that, and I think that's for us with this treasures to remember, is that we look at things in this way in which it is just um, whoever has the most toys uh, wins. And what the writer of Ecclesiastes and what Jesus is telling us is they all end up in the same place. But if you see things from above, there's a different truth that's available to us. And so some of this at least if you've been rescued into this frame that Jesus is talking about, is uh, why invest in that which is bound to fail when you can invest in what is stable? 
Thanks for coming to the meeting today. I have a multi-level marketing scheme I'd like to get you into. Sorry, I couldn't resist that because that's what you hear nowadays. That's stable. Um, no, that, that Christ is actually saying that there's some logic here when you, when you invest with me, which is a weird way to think of this, when your treasures are with me, which is that those are permanent, that they will last and they will greet you that day in the heavens. That this is sort of the way Jesus is, is, is sort of the anti-Buddhist here in the sense he's not saying, you know, just um, limit it all down and be practical about this. It's not going with you. But instead, there is another place in which we can build up these things. And if our heart is there, our wills, our minds, our bodies, our seat of affections is there in that stable place as well. Build up your treasures in heaven. For your treasure, your is your heart is also. The eye, um, which is the lamp of the body. Good lamp, yeah. Jesse's given the nod. Okay. Um, the ancient world, um, their way of understanding the phenomena we call sight was: the light is admitted from within your eye. And so, where you cast your gaze is what becomes. Um, enlightened, enlightened by it. Um, we know that uh, light uh, radiates from the object and goes into our eyes as a receptible thing. So to understand this passage, it's a little bit helpful to know that, that uh, and it's not quite clear that those in the ancient world were like, this is the scientific understanding of how sight works, or if they were saying, God knows how sight works. We haven't taken eyes apart yet with microscopes. Here's how we understand the phenomena of sight. Um, so don't view this as, well, the Bible's wrong on science. I don't think it's an endorsement into that this is. But there's a truth to it, is that where we set our sight, our eyes, our gaze, our direction, where we aim at um, directs our health, directs what we desire, directs how we look at the world. And so if your gaze, if your eyes, if the light within you is directed towards that which is dark, Darkness pervades your body. If your light and eyes are directed to that which is light, the light within you grows. And so for Jesus here, it's this idea that if you're, if you're focusing your eyes on that which is light, um, uh, the light out of you, the light out of you becomes more multiplied. But if the light that is coming out of you is darkness, how great is the darkness indeed? And so the question for us, I think, is what do we set our eyes on? We're often reflected in the things that we sort of look at and seek. We set our goals up on this. When I was younger, two months ago, um, if I really desired something, say I've matured, um, I would continually go back to look at it. This is a fly fishing rod or a... Um, uh, well, that was two months ago, so we'll just pick on that one. Um, you would just look at it. You would find ways to be like, ah, that's the one. That's what I want. Um, and so you would just begin to focus your gaze on these things to sort of consume them, to have them near to you. And it's, it's incident, like the whole modern world is sort of set up that way. Of, of these three, I think this might be the hardest because it's almost everywhere you look is crying out, for your gaze, for crying out for you to consume, crying out for you to take. Um, and it's, 
in adornments on bodies all the way up to, to food, um, to um, physical things. I mean, uh, we live, live in this extremely fallen frame in which almost everything is for sale. Um, everything can be earned. And we even, um, what we gaze at, we apply onto ourselves. This is uh, fitness magazines too. We sort of distort our own bodies with these gazes in ways in which the light of us um, just tears us apart. Um, but what Christ calls us to is that if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. For us to try and say, what does it mean in this world for our gaze, our aims, where we look to be healthy so that our full body can be full of light? For some of us, this might mean um, uh, pulling away from social media. For others of this, it might mean less trips to Target and necess less necessary. Uh, for others, it might mean while these fitness magazines inspire me into, into trying, they really are lusts and consumptions that drag me down and perhaps ruin my own image of myself and my own image of others as I consume them. Um, we classically pick on the NFL here. Um, and, and, and your, your sports obsession leads you to not see other things. Uh, the house is on fire, but the bears are on. Um, uh, that's the way these things sort of go. Um, and so what does it mean for us to begin to guard our eyes so that the light within us is light? And it is not said about us, if, if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No drawing here, Jesse, I'm sorry. God, fail in this. Money, ma'am, and most of us are probably familiar with the King James here more than we are with modern English translations, where money, you cannot love, serve both God and money, is actually left as mammon. And it's weird because in, in the Greek, it's also left in its original phrase too. It's not one of the words that's translated for us. It actually is uh, we get this with Eloi, Eloi, Shabakama in the, uh, from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, other passages in the New Testament, uh, Talitha, uh, where he cries the spirit out of the woman, um, there are phrases that it seems like they're being preserved in their original language for a reason, and that, I think, is true of mammon here. So the teaching is that you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other. You'll be voted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is, um, I think, helpful to think about as this other God, this other thing. There's, even in the ancient world, non-Christian thinkers would say of, of wealth that it is the uh, God that has, it's the most powerful God despite having no altars. Um, that was their way of thinking about it. In a world of actual altars, they said, your worship of wealth is the strongest thing, but it has no altar that you can actually go to. Now, we don't live in a world of altars. We just build altars to mammon everywhere, <laughs> in our houses, in our, in our buildings, in our public spaces. We seem to have no um, shortage of things that we can dedicate to mammon. And what I think that, that Jesus is calling us out here today, is what he's saying to us, is no one can serve two masters, as you'll either hate one and love the other, is the things that we make our masters that are not God are great because they almost ask nothing of us, but they take everything. The things we serve other than God almost ask nothing of us, 
but they take everything. The classic temptation, which I know is massive in the world today, and I have a wife who keeps me from it, is video games for young men. They want nothing of you. They don't want you to, 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 to go work out. They don't want you to take out the trash. They don't want you to be present at the dinner table. They don't care about any of that. And yet they take everything. The Wall Street Journal had a great article on Fortnite a couple years ago with these young mothers struggling like, I don't know how to get their attention back. That's where they want to be all the time. This is Kelly and I have young kids, and we're seeing this today with um, YouTube. So many people um, um, pacify their children with YouTube videos, and what happens is that they want to be there instead of then at the hot springs. And it's easy to pick on children or young men here. It's less easy to look at ourselves and the ways in which we build up these worlds in which we have a whole bunch of other masters and they don't want much from us. But in the end, they're taking everything. They're not just starving us of God. They're starving us of true human relation of friendships and goodness. This is um, a... Classic in research with um, pornography is that, that, that people addicted to that will choose to do that knowing it will make them miserable more than they will choose to go out with their friends. It's a pathology. Um, if we were of the frame that I started the sermon with, we would call it demonic. And in our world today, we have these two masters, or uh, Theos, God, and all the other masters which we can subsume under mammon, thinking we can do both. I come to church on Sunday. It's part of the pie I give to God. The other 90%, I get to do with what I want. And what Christ is instructing us here is it's like it doesn't work that way because you'll grow to hate one and love the other. It is God, but the, the Broncos start earlier today, and so it bleeds into that. Um, it is God, but I had stayed up late last night binging this show on Netflix so much that I fell asleep. I'd really rewatched the ending today instead of, and this is just like, picking on church with this is just, you get how dumb this is, right? Like, because it's not like God's just totally like, you know, if you really do the church thing, the, the one-seventh of the time, which is not even that, all is forgiven. Um, it's that is that we live in this sort of frame in which we don't think God gets the whole pie. Um, we negotiate with the other masters so that God can get what God gets, but that we can keep what we want. And so these are the challenges for us from this sermon, is to not have treasures other than the treasures in which God stores up for us in heaven to direct our gaze and our eye, and that that is where our heart and will is, to not direct our eyes to places of darkness. There's a, I didn't talk about it, but there's also, we give the evil eye today. That's, that's a phrase that would come out of this time too. The eye of revenge as well, to not just consume with our eyes. And the last, to, to have one Lord, knowing that you will love one and hate the other. This comes for us often. So to end, I always feel like we should end on a positive note, which is probably a bad, uh, makes you a good preacher, probably makes you a bad person or something. Um, 
We'll end with the quote on the back of the bulletin today, which I don't know if it's any cheerier than, than what I just said. Um, because the human heart needs a treasure to cling to. Oh, this is the fulfillment of what God has given us instead. God has given us Jesus. As we find union with Jesus, we begin to see the world in its true frame, and we begin to live in the next passage we're going to see lightly and freely, not closed-handed, not threatened by everything, not in this limited way. That what happens when we live with treasures on earth, we live with a dark body because of where our eyes are set. What happens when we serve two masters, is it doesn't work and anxiety grows within us. Anger and frustration grows within us. The idea that we can control everything grows within us. And then when a pandemic comes, it all falls apart anyways. Like we think we're in charge, but if we live freely in the way in which Christ is instructing us in these three, which we'll pick up next Sunday, we actually find we reside with Christ and there is a fullness there that doesn't come through the fleeting things of the world. Back to Bonhoeffer. Because the human heart needs a treasure to cling to, it is Jesus' will that it should have a treasure, but on, not on earth where it decays. Instead, the treasure is in heaven where it is preserved. The treasures in heaven of which Jesus is speaking are apparently not the one treasure Jesus are apparently not the one treasure Jesus himself, but treasures really collected by his followers. A promise is expressed in this, that Jesus will that the disciples will acquire heavenly treasures by following Jesus. Treasures which will not decay, which will wait for them with which they shall be united. What other treasures could be, they be except that extraordinariness, which is what he calls the greater righteousness, and the hidden life of that of the disciple? What treasures could they be except for the fruits of Christ's suffering, which the life of disciple will bear? That we find union with Christ and we have fulfillment with him. Let us pray. God, you instruct us in the temptations of the world. Where will our hearts reside? With our treasures we can store up on earth, or treasures in heaven where neither thieves nor moss nor vermin destroy? Where will our eyes, the light within us, be set? Towards that which is dark and drags us down into depression and angst, that which cuts us off from human relationships and pulls us away from that, from those who we love and from you who we love, from you who we love. Will we serve two masters and grow to resent one and love the other? God, call us into your life as the master of our souls. May we find that you are light and easy to live with, and that here we live freely in the gifts that you lavish on us. There's no need to be protective and guarded to worry if we're seeking enough, gathering enough, working enough, abiding enough. But instead, we reside in you who resides in heaven. Draw us into your Son in the way he models us in the world so that we too may live freely in the gift of grace in which you've bestowed on us. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.